You're listening to the GamesIndustry.biz podcast. I'm James Batter and I'm joined this week by... Matt Handrahan and Brendan Sinclair. We're going to be discussing the latest headlines, mostly console-themed, but before we do, here's a quick recap of the biggest stories of the week so far. Sony has unveiled the first details of its successor to the PlayStation 4, Carefully not calling it the PlayStation 5, uh, lead architect Mark Cerny spoke with Wired and said that the system won't launch until 2020 at the earliest. It's going to feature a solid-state hard drive, PSVR compatibility, uh, it's going to support 8K, and it's going to be backwards compatible with PS4 games. After many, many leaks, Xbox finally announced the Xbox One S All Digital Edition, which launches on May the 7th. Uh, The discless version of the console comes with three games pre-installed. Those are Sea of Thieves, Forza Horizon 3 and Minecraft, and costs $250 at launch. Microsoft also announced the Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, a single membership program that combines Xbox Live Gold and Xbox Game Pass for $15 a month. Final Fantasy XV director Hajime Tabata will lead development on the first ever game based on the Paralympics. The Pegasus Dream Tour will be the debut project for Tabata's new studio, JP Games. Tabata left uh, Square Enix back in October 2018. US retailer GameStop has launched its new Guaranteed to Love It scheme for new releases. This is basically a refund policy that lets you return eligible games for four, within 48 hours. If you didn't enjoy it or if you hated it or if it was too buggy or it just wasn't what you expected, you get a full refund with um, minus tax. Uh, the first game to do this will be Days Gone on PlayStation 4. And finally, Capcom is rolling out its own retro system. Uh, so following like the NES Classic, the SNES Classic, the PlayStation Classic, all those mini mini retro machines, the Capcom Home Arcade Dual Joystick setup will launch in October with 16 built-in games, some of which we've heard of, and a €230 Euro price tag. It is shaped like the company's logo. Um, gentlemen, I... Fairly obvious starting point with the PlayStation Five because uh, we, I mean we've heard rumours of it, it's expected that the new next generation is on the way. I, Xbox has already said like we're working on a number of consoles. Read into that what you will. Sony has been quite tight lipped, even though it's quite obviously like on the way. I think they've previously done the you know, like they've confirmed yes we're working on the next generation of PlayStation. They seem to be oddly like determined not to call it PlayStation Five, even that even though that is almost certainly what it was going to be called. Um, but what were your thoughts on the, the first few kind of tidbits that they've thrown to us? Well, I, I must say, I thought, I thought it's just an odd, it's just odd to me that this is the first way we found out about it, like in a random Wired article that drops on a Tuesday, you know? No no real fanfare. Well, normally but, you'd see that in an E3 conference. Yes, you would normally see that at an E3 conference. And though I do seem to remember, didn't they... Drop some key details about the PS4, like in, in an interview, Andrew House in the Financial Times. I'm pretty sure that happened. Maybe this is a new way of going about it. But it, there's quite a lot of firm details about what the next generation for them is going to look like. Um, and it all just arrived sort of out of the blue with very little fanfare. Um, and you would normally expect a, a little bit more of a song and dance, maybe a little bit more of the press alerted to the fact that uh, an announcement was coming. But really, I think it pretty much just fell in all of our laps didn't did it not yeah i would have thought that they'd like if not an e3 conference like they've just had one of their um state of play or the first state of play like kind of live broadcast you'd think it would like it'd be kind of almost like a teaser at the end of that like announcing a bunch of games or just kind of you know here's here's our first you know 10 minute episode like here's the first facts on the playstation 5 yeah it does feel like a very low-key way of 
of, of putting that information out there. I can only assume they're building up to a larger reveal either at E3 or maybe a little something before. I think, did the PlayStation 4 have, like, I know the Xbox One obviously had its, its massive kind of early, it, it had a massive reveal event earlier in the year when it was the you know, constantly digital and all this. Did the PlayStation follow up with their own event before E3? I feel like that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was in uh, New York City. <clears throat> I think they had uh, John Blow show off The Witness there at that first uh, reveal event. It was... Uh, yeah, it was, it was more of an event. Um, and, like, I'm... A lot of the stuff that they told us is uh, cool, but... It's not necessarily the, like, oh, one more thing that would headline a, uh, like, a reveal event. Um, it's, it's sort of like the, um, I, I, I saw some people suggest that the timing was kind of uh, in, in line with the Xbox One uh, S all digital announcement. And it's specifically revealing, like, oh, we're going to have discs kind of signals a a different path forward for the next generation for Sony than for Microsoft. And that worked really well for them last time around when Microsoft came out with their super aggressive always online Xbox One vision. And Sony was like, no, you you can um, still just give a disc to a friend. And that is how you will do that. We don't need to mess around with weird license stuff or anything like that. And backward compatibility also is a... A really nice feature um, to to kind of get out there, but without any questions about it. Yeah, I am. Um, I think. I mean, I think it's probably a good thing that at this point in time we have two console. We have the two historically most similar console companies. Um, you know, and you're right, Renan, to point out the the uh, difference between the two strategies at the beginning of the last generation, but ultimately Microsoft and Sony. Um, Microsoft was forced to kind of bring to rein itself in a little bit, and they ended up going in broadly similar directions as each other. Um, but I quite like the fact that they're not. Um, I quite like the idea. I, I guess I do quite like the fact that PlayStation, if if this was about reassuring people, there would be discs, and that was the main reason why. I, I expect things like this have a lot more planning in advance than that. But who knows if they knew that the discless thing was coming or whatnot? That's pure speculation. It's just that for me, like I the details of the next PlayStation are less exciting. I am more excited by a discless console than I think most. I mean, I, I, um, you can take the broad view and say, well, you know, most of the world of games, most of the world of gamers don't have a good internet connection, but there are plenty of people that do. Um, I, I think we're kind of in a world now where but while I do believe that Microsoft will have this, will have a disc, uh, will support discs in whatever its next iteration of the Xbox is, and I think there will be that. I, I, I think this discless idea is a much more exciting one than, say, you know, backwards compatibility on the on the, on the next PlayStation, which should pretty much exist already in PlayStation. They're kind of playing catch up there. There's 8K, but I don't even have a 4K TV, and neither do a great many people. So again, that doesn't really excite me as like a major step forward in any great way and not none not, what about not the solid state drive yeah well yeah i get that i, I suppose just broadly just broadly speaking uh, uh what microsoft is doing at the moment is a much more exciting uh way of thinking about the future of games whereas what what sony came out with did really seem to be like 
a little bit of a kick in the pants in a few areas of consoles that I don't really value that much, like super high fidelity. Don't really care about that that a great deal. Backwards compatibility, like I say, is good, but it, it does feel like that's more like a where where have you been with that one, Sony, rather than you know round of applause for for leading the way. Um, I don't know what you feel about it batch but that's kind of how it struck me that we've got two companies doing two different things and maybe we can actually have two companies doing two different things now and that's not a bad thing anymore i think for me it's it's just the fact that as as our publisher chris was saying earlier in the week like just it's all very safe playstation have played it very safe and yes you know like you know playstation benefited from you know, having a more clearer games-focused direction last gener- at the start of the last generation, but that was as much Xbox's failure to convey its, you know, to 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 sell people on its its vision of the future than it was anything that Sony actively did to kind of sell people on. Well, this is our vision of the future because Sony's vision of the future for the PlayStation Four was it's like PS Three but slightly better and with a touchpad. There wasn't anything dramatically new. And I grant you we don't know the full details this time round because obviously this is just the first kind of little tech specs, but it doesn't sound like there's anything dramatically new either. Like This is just kind of here. This is the, the super-duper more of the same. Xbox, to their credit, like as you say, like yeah, they're trying to push the, what they see as the future of the industry – start of the you know, last generation what seven years ago like that just it was clearly a future that not everyone wanted nobody wanted the um you know the always on connection and all you know this this focus on like tv and digital but uh, you know i swear like over the years like they've slowly worked in the sort of features that they'd originally pitched and people have slowly have, have accepted them and embraced them like they now they're pushing towards the kind of the services and subscription kind of model like you know with Game Pass and Xbox Live Gold and the you know the, the the convenience of digital, I have to confess, like a digital only console isn't as off putting to me now as it was ten years ago because yeah, if it means I don't have to walk across the room and change the disc or take, you know, whatever DVD my son's been watching four billion times at the bloody drive, like, yes, it'd be great if I can just switch to a game without having to, you know, take the land before time out of the out of the console. Um, <laughs> That's pretty so. old school batch, I must say. But, but you know, but it, it's not a coincidence that, that this discless uh, box came at the same time as this new kind of all-in-one monthly subscription package for the Xbox yeah. services. You know, I think... Microsoft seems to be quite happy with the idea of there being a consumer that buys this, whatever it is, 250 bucks. Xbox gives it an additional $15 every single month throughout the year. And then for that, you get a bunch of games. And like with Game Pass now, it's quite a few games. You know, this is this, this is not a small offering that, it, that it's giving you. You could, you could very well kind of happily exist as a gamer with just what's on Game Pass. Maybe... Maybe you chuck in an EA Access on the top so you can get FIFA and Battlefield, and you can pretty much exist on that. And I, and I think that these companies, they're kind of okay with that. They, they like they like having these this kind of reliable, solid, every single month revenue. And for Microsoft, someone that ends up giving them, I mean, you know, I'm bad at maths, but what it'd be, it'd be some, some, somewhere close to 200 bucks a year for, for, for in, in subscription fees from a person that buys that discless Xbox. And I think... I think that's kind of like a good alternate to the other kind of gamer that there's really been the stock in trade of the, of the console companies. These guys that buy, these people that buy, you know, sixty bucks games every every single month or, or every other month. And it tunes into just the way that the wider world of entertainment is is going. As as people have said about Microsoft, you know, to begin with, yeah, you know, okay, film. If you're a big film goer, 
people tend to, you know, you'll subscribe to Netflix or Amazon Prime or Hulu or whatever, and then you will go to the one or two films you want to go see in the cinema for the for the experience of going to see in the cinema. Similarly, similarly, as you say, you'll have people like dropping fifteen pounds, you know, fifteen dollars a month on as many games, well, a, a decent selection of games, and then every now and then when there's a big game, you know, like the FIFA or the Call of Duty, just the annual ones that everyone goes, you know, everyone tends to drop in for. Yeah, it, it, it's it's lending it more to the way that people consume their entertainment now. I agree with both of you, and I absolutely hate it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Don't, I'm not saying I like this. I'm saying this is where it's going. I miss the days where you just plug it, put a game in, and it works. Like, yeah, like, but you, you've got to see that this console is almost like. Uh, I'll let you, obviously, sorry to interrupt, Evan, but uh, this is kind of like training wheels, isn't it, for what Microsoft wants right. its consumers to be like? Yeah. And and the thing is that the Sony's next PlayStation, uh, what little they've told about it uh, so far, like you said, it, it sounds like more of the same. And honestly, that feels like progress to me in an industry where um, the business models are changing and they're always changing to, you know, put more more uh, leverage in the hands of the platform holders. And it's it's just kind of it's frustrating to me as someone that likes to actually, you know, own the media that 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 I enjoy in some semblance of of the word. Uh, I like I like having old games that I know I can play that I don't need to keep paying someone rent on in order to have access to them that I don't have to worry about them falling out of a catalog of, of games that are being offered in a subscription service that that are just they're there and i can access them in their mind and and like i i i want to just pay once something for something and get that thing in return it's a very easy transaction that's very clear for all parties involved and everything about where the industry is headed now uh seems to be in the direction of obfuscation of that sort of value proposition for customers for developers for for everyone but the platform holders like the it's it's just from micro transactions and virtual currency to subscription services it's becoming harder and harder to just say well yeah you're giving me x amount of money for y thing and and that's i don't think that's a healthy direction necessarily for the industry to take so if sony wants to just churn out more of the same and a logical iteration of what's been done before i'm perfectly fine with that <laughs> now i agree i i agree with that there's the, there's the ongoing confusion over digital ownership or, or how little you own when when you go digital but then again you know speaking to the wider world of entertainment like and just the, the way that you know that that's the way the world has been shifting like you know like you've got we are of the generation that knows what it is like to own things to purchase a game and that game is yours to do with what you will once you have bought it whereas you know kids today like teenagers like etc like they, they're grown up in a world where actually yeah they they just play whatever is available digitally and if that gets removed from the store ah, that's a shame but at least it's still kind of tied to my account so i can download it as long as it's on the servers again going you know like things like netflix oh brilliant i can watch whatever the hell i want oh it's off netflix now oh never mind i'll I'll watch something else like that's that's the mindset that the the wider entertainment industry has has developed that you 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 get what you're given essentially yeah or Um, or 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 it's not you know it's not really like get what you're given it's just um 
the kinds of games that are most popular games in the world at the moment yeah, they like are not Fortnite. products that you can own they are services that you yeah that you buy some time in and that's what it is i mean and minecraft is not so very different to, to to that you know i mean i know you can buy a copy of minecraft and so on but but you're kind of like buying into a world for a period of time and there will be people now i mean i think this speaks to the idea that now i i don't it's not i i figure that my i'm more excited by what microsoft is doing than what sony is doing brendan is the other way around but I, th I think that the market can probably support both in a way that it probably couldn't before um that there is enough people there are enough people that could buy into to either philosophy and like that 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 each will suit a different kind of consumer better but there are going to be people increasing number of people who've grown up in a world where they don't see games as products that they own that the con that the paradigm in which games exist for them is is as services um, that you yeah. buy, that you rent some rent rent time that you rent the ability to to spend some time in. and that is only at one end of the industry granted and only with a certain kind of game but uh, but yeah the, you know the the, the the things in boxes that you can plug into a console at any time they're not really well we'll see what the future holds for them but right now but it's kind of, the writing does seem to be somewhat on the wall. There are so many games like Fortnite where, you know, like if they turn off the servers for that game, then you owning Fortnite on a disc or whatever doesn't doesn't mean anything, doesn't make a difference, doesn't help you at all. So, like, I I, I certainly understand that, you know, there's that that sort of uh, appeal is is uh, reduced, certainly in a lot of the types of games that are that are popular these days but it's it's also you know that that speaks to kind of the issues about preservation of the medium and how so much of it is utterly disposable uh these days i mean i've you know you follow developers on twitter and they're like yeah so i've worked on 12 games in my career and only three of them are now playable in any way shape or form like like not even that you know they don't have a copy of them just like once you turn the servers off on something like this it ceases to exist yeah, yeah. No, it's true, and it, and it's odd because while I do like what Microsoft is doing, the kind of games I almost exclusively play are exactly the kind of games that you would want to have a copy of at home, so you could play it whenever you want. I don't play online games. I don't play multiplayer games. I play sort of big open world RPGs and the like, and, and never an MMO. So my tastes definitely run in the direction of stuff that you can own, but my my interest in terms of you know what I want, what what I would would enjoy seeing the games industry try a bit more of is this kind of completely fluid digital space. But I'm sure well, I am also the kind of person that kind of just ignores all the privacy stuff on online platforms and just gives them all of my information as well. So maybe I just don't think far enough ahead. <laughs> if you look at like a Netflix of games set up also, like uh, is it going to be more like Netflix or Spotify where Netflix has like, basically entire decades of the history of film that it just doesn't seem to care about at all mm. and spotify is a little more comprehensive my impression is um i don't actually use spotify but like are we going to have these just massive gaps in in gaming history that become inaccessible if subscription services really take over because the return on investment for adding something from 30 years ago to the catalog just isn't there. Yeah. But Spotify is, 
is more uh, towards encyclopedic, but uh, I think it's kind of the nature of the product. So a, so a song file is a pretty small thing to store, whereas a game file is an absolutely enormous thing to store. And I think inevitably when you get these catalogue services, I mean, Microsoft, I mean, if, you know, if, if EA did its one and Microsoft is doing its one, they could probably just, just give you a collection of games that would kind of mostly remain there much of the time. But if you had an all-encompassing one, it would be that thing like you have the illusion of like being able to access almost anything. But when you use it day after day, as I do with Netflix, you very quickly realize that, yeah, there's an awful lot of stuff that, that never gets anywhere near the service, let alone is just sort of like waiting for its turn. Yeah. How much licensed stuff just never gets saved or preserved or re-released in games? Yeah, yeah, well, that's true. what I was going to say. Like, yeah, like going going to Spotify. And like, yeah, like uh, the music industry at least has got its its licensing kind of uh, system essentially like sorted out. So, like, it's very clear as to who you pay to get that song or that album onto something like Spotify. Whereas, yeah, you look at like you know all the old licensed games. If I want to play, you know, Disney's Aladdin, you know, Virgin Interactive doesn't exist anymore. Like, all, all the developers like may have part of the rights the disney obviously still have some of the rights like there's just the sheer mess it takes to just bring back old licensed games um it's just it's too comprehensive like it's it's just not worth the hassle for the publishers that's mm. why we can go like 20 some years with alien versus predator from the arcade not being accessible in any way shape or form until something really dumb happens well on that note, then yes. Um, so, I, I mean, Brendan, please, please, because you seem most bemused by this. I mean, I, I, I find this amusing, but uh, like, please describe the 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 really dumb thing that Capcom seems to have done. I, I, it's it's an absurd thing. I don't, I don't want to belittle it as just utterly dumb, but it is absolutely absurd, and I kind of love it for how little sense it makes um they they looked at the nes classic playstation classic sega genesis classic mini stuff uh coming out the retro consoles and they're like yeah we can do that we have this great library of arcade hits let's do that and then instead of like you know making a little box that hooks up to your tv they made a a full-size arcade joystick panel that's plug and play and has two joysticks with the full like six button arcade setup and it plays 16 whole games and it costs 230 euros and the kicker is that the entire thing is shaped like the capcom logo i'm really yeah. sorry that's what i can't get past I cannot get past so the the PlayStation Classic, the SNES Classic, the NES Classic, like the little mini. There is a novelty to having a miniature version of that beer moth you used to have on your, your underneath your telly, like way back in the day. There's a, there's a novelty to revisiting the form factor of past platforms, but who the hell has that level of loyalty to a company logo? Well, like, I, I think, I, but they're they're in a position though where they don't have hardware that they can. They yeah, can they can they can capture that. like they have they have so it was always going to be an abstraction. It is utterly bizarre that that is the abstraction that they chose because a logo is long and thin and it just doesn't really support that. Now, I mean, I, I haven't studied this hardware very very closely. Where are the controllers on this? Are they on the body of the thing or do they just plug in? They're on they're yeah. on the they're on the body like on top of the letters. 
like there, are, there are like an arcade panel would. So yeah, like an arcade cabinet. Yeah, coming out from the first C and one joystick coming out of the uh, the O. That is, yeah. <laughs> the thing is, like, like you look at like the like the official Street Fighter like arcade sticks that you can get like for the proper professionals like the pro game yeah the the competitive games they can get like proper little arcade sticks that look like the top of the pa- the panel bit of an arcade cabinet. Why not make that? Why not just if you're going to go you know for this kind of two player arcade cabinet? Why not make it look like the panel off an arcade cabinet? That's the form factor that they have to draw well, on. Yeah, so maybe. why go for your logo? But that would be huge though. That would be really big. This already yeah. is huge. This is 74 centimeters long. I know, but the price panel was also unacceptably high as well for this kind of thing. That's that's what, like twice the price of the equivalents or more than twice the price of the equivalents of the equivalent consoles that you mentioned earlier, Brendan? Yeah, so so this is like, um, I look at this in the same way that I look at, say, a uh, first four figures conquer the squirrel statue. Uh, that that some some people with you know so little common sense it hurts will pay. <laughs> I, I that was a a cheap shot at our publisher Chris Dring. I apologize for that. Um, basically, there are super fans of things, and they will pay a lot of money for something that's kind of cool and unique. And a giant Capcom logo to stick on your shelf with like the the arcade buttons out of it. And they're real. Sanwa is the manufacturer of arcade parts, and that's, like, super cool and high quality. Like, I can see an audience for people. If, if there are people that will pay five or 600 euros for a statue that just sits there, I can see this for these arcade games. And the fact that it's functional, that it includes 16 arcade games, many of them, like, really deep cuts. Uh, it's the first time Alien vs. Predator has been released in any form since its 1994 arcade game. Um, some of the some of the stuff in there I had never even heard of before. Capcom Sports Club, like I am a, I would have called myself a Capcom fanboy at one point and a complete arcade rat. I'd never heard of Capcom Sports Club, and they, the of the sixteen games, there's like one Street Fighter two game, Final Fight, Darkstalkers, but like not a whole lot of the well, these are the obvious, you know, flagship franchise kind of stuff from Capcom. So it's. It's clearly aiming for like that super duper fan uh, demographic, and it's not. I just I don't think it's it's really intended to be like f- functional as a main point. It's that's more just like icing on the cake. It's it's more just like I love Capcom so much. I'm going to spend a ludicrous amount on this thing, and I'm just going to have this, you know, this showpiece in my in my room. This discussion. Uh, point and a conversation starter like the steel battalion joystick i think in some ways which another capcom thing it's an interesting comparison though but i I think you know as you read out some of those games like the the idea of playing final fight on a proper arcade type setup let's leave the capcom logo shape to one side for a moment actually it is kind of appealing and playing street fighter on that setup against red was also kind of appealing i i'm i would never buy this i would i don't can't imagine any way in which my life would support uh, a, a moment where it could even be played against one of my friends anymore but but like i, I can definitely see the thinking that produced a product like this it, it just surprises me that they seem to have 
they seem to be relying so completely on a very small sector of the market when really i mean do this but also make something that bit more accessible you know like a cheaper version that isn't in the shape of capcom logo and is more in line with those other ones so someone like me might actually be tempted to drop 80 euros on it to play final yeah. fight and, and street like, fight and so on so many of these super fans already have plenty of joysticks like a little box with you know that just works with a lot of generic joysticks seems like it would have been fantastic but this one is like it's like if you're alone and you want to play one of these games, you've got this monstrosity hanging lopsidedly off your lap. It's it's three quarters of a meter long, and you're you're just sitting there on one half of it trying to, like, play it on a slope. Or if you have a friend with you, you both, I guess, have to be on a couch or sitting yeah, next to each I... other on the floor or something and really squeezing in when you shouldn't really need to do that at home. Yeah, uncomfortably close together as well, you would have to think. I mean, three quarters of meat is large, but two two people that can actually remember these games being in the arcade probably these days would take up thirty two centimeters each when sat on the floor, and that would be a pretty cozy game experience, I think. Trying really hard not to make jokes about <laughs> yeah. Oh, Capcom, what are you doing? On that note, I believe that is all we've got time for this week. We will be back next week with more headlines and more industry discussion. In the meantime, please go back and listen to our previous episodes. They're all on uh, They're on all good podcasting platforms, Spotify, iTunes, etc. I can't read out the whole damn list. Uh, and, of course, you can find your daily dose of news, insight, and analysis into the world behind video games at gamesindustry.biz. Music.